Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this batch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 373 The Self-Defense Force UN Vorledge City Walls the city of Vorledge, once a simple border town of the Bluewood Empire that adventurers and local residents used as a gateway into the uncharted forest, was now in state of a high alert. The border city defenses had stood against countless goblins and monster attacks were upgraded over the winter season in preparation for an invasion by the Imperials. A new outer layer of defense was worse constructed beyond the city walls, made out of concrete and wire. The new berm wall with fortified bunkers and overhead protection, barely three stories tall, surrounded the city, leaving a small stretch of land between the new and old walls. The local SDF troops were made up mostly of former guards, adventurers, and soldiers. The SDF three-month training program was split into two segments. The first segment was an integration of languages, culture, and technology. The recruits were placed in a crash course of one and a half months of learning, re-education, and military conditioning. In that period, they were taught basic English, math, science, and technology. Those with a lower aptitude in certain subjects were pushed into learning how to drive and maintenance for machinery. After that period was over, they all were officially starting their military training for the next one and a half months, learning command, small unit tactics, fighting from fixed positions, and foremost, how to operate the firearms. It was an eye-opener for all the new recruits, as they had to learn many strange things, and even had to curb their urge to charge and rush at the enemy. For those who had a fighting experience with swords and spears were mostly slumped by the new tactics that they had learned while firing the firearms. Unlike the Marines' training, the idea was to have the militia force ready to be called upon and into action at any time. Hence, the mentality of the trainers was that these were civilian soldiers, and the discipline was not as highly enforced compared to the Marines and the weapons and equipment issue were mostly older variants of the existing marine gear. There was a large stockpile of black powder ammunition and the first generation M1 BP Magelock rifles, and these were issued to the SDF troops, while the marines had already switched out to the second generation M1 Magelock rifles using the smokeless gunpowder. Most of the SDF who signed up were based on the 12-year contract which they were required to serve in active duty for two years before they were reassigned and reserved service for 10 years. Once in reserve service, they are required to report twice yearly for one month reservist where they are undergoing refresher courses and military training and duty. Also, during the time in the reserved service, if there was a time of war or an emergency, they would be called upon active duty. Other than that, the SDF members were not in active duty and free to continue with their normal lives as civilians. The Department of Manpower of the SDF would also do its best to ensure they assigned the troops at their native cities, so as to easily allow the SDF members to revert back to their civilian lives once their service was over. SDF Corporal Bock leaned his beefy bulk against the parapet of the bunker he was assigned to with his squad. He was a blacksmith before signing up with the SDF after the city was liberated from the Imperials by the UN. He was also part of the local resistance force that had helped overthrow the Imperials' control away from the city, and now he was a corporal with a squad of six under his command. He knew his rank was one tier lower compared to the UN Marines, as the SDF were considered a civilian militia. He was torn between joining the Marines and SDF when his call for recruitment came from the UN. 
but in the end, hearing the terms of enlistment from both sides, he decided to join the SDF, as it could allow him to remain with his family even when he was on active duty. During training, his mind suddenly exposed to so many new and unconventional concepts, the ideas that he was certain no one could ever think of except the gods. Technology that made his life convenient for the common people was something that no noble nor king would ever develop in their lifetime. He saw factories producing steel in such amounts that was mind-boggling during orientation tour. The strange weapons and flying machines, even the craftsmanship of the tools was so finely crafted that he, as a blacksmith of many years, could never dream of comparing nor competing in. He had seen the golden age when the town was still part of the Gold Rose Kingdom, where hundreds of adventurers and merchants flooded the town to explore the uncharted forest for its resources. But the Imperials invaded and the kingdom fell. The span of several years, many changes enforced by the Imperials took place. Adventurers were forced to register with the guild introduced by the Empire, which then took a cut of any jobs that they did. Harsh taxes were enforced, so did forced conscription of men from the farms. Slavery grew rampant, and it was easy to get you to lose your freedom forever if you offended the wrong person, and they catch you and sell you off somewhere as a slave. Slavers, hoping to make some quick gold, frequently roamed the night to catch any unwary people, and soon the locals were fearful to travel alone in the streets. The nobles were worse, as they blatantly ignored any law as long as the gold was present. They took what they wanted, destroyed things as they wished, and treated the common people like dirt. At times, Bok thought the nobles were worse than the bandits. Thus, when somebody approached him, asking if he had the power to change his situation, would he take it? And he did, with many others. When the UN came, he was a skeptic at first, but soon was won over by their weaponry and tactics. But most of all, he was wowed by the fact that the exiled princess of the Gold Rose was the wife of the leader of the UN. It was still too early for Bach to judge the UN was better choice compared to the Imperials yet. But before going into the SDF, his hopes of a better future were truly satisfied after witnessing the wonder of technology. Corporal Bach, someone suddenly called out, disrupting his thoughts. He turned to see what the issue was and saw one of his men pointing in the distance. Riders! Lots of them. First Imperial Army, Order of Shadows. A handsome-looking knight with a lazy smile on his face was urging his war dragon to gather faster as the walls of the city came closer. On one hand, he held a kite shield embossed with the emblem and a grinning skull. In the other hand, he held onto the glowing ball of flames. Behind him came the rest of the Order of Shadows, riding their own land dragons. The ground trembled as the heavy war mounts powdered the earth with the crawled feet as they charged the spectacular V-formation. Each rider had a semi-transparent dome covering their bodies as the knights themselves cast protection spells before attacking the city. The knight, in lead with a smile, laughed at the stupidity of the defenders as the land around the city defenses was flat and empty, which gave the cavalry a huge advantage. He wasn't afraid of any traps by the stupid peasants, as he had a trap detection spell before him constantly, checking the terrain for any pitfalls or magic traces. The flat terrain made it easy for the war dragon to close the distance towards the first tier of the defenses, which the walls looked as hastily constructed as some kind of magic. He raised his hand, holding the ball of flames, and the rest of the order followed suit, as they were just roughly two hundred paces away. The walls and the defenses exploded into thunder and smoke. Ceasefire! Ceasefire! 
Bok yelled at his men who had nervously fired their rifles at the frightened cavalry charge coming straight at them. Bok could feel the thumping of the hooves resonating in his chest as the enemy knights came closer and closer. Wait for the goddamn command to fire! He smacked the helmet of his men who had fired in panic. Wait till they come closer! Bok could hear the same words being called out along the walls as some of the defenders with brains were yelling with the loudspeaker device. Remember your training. Don't worry about the Imperials coming up the walls. Those land dragons can't fly. Just as he's finished his words, the enemy cavalry suddenly split into two forces, one going left and the other going right. And at first, he thought the enemy were holding torches in their hands, but now he saw that there were torches but fireballs. The Imperial Knights seemed to casually wave their hands, and the balls of flames in their hands flew into the skies like arrows. They paused at the zenith of their flight upwards, before dropping down like a flaming teardrop. Take cover! Bok yelled as his men threw themselves down under the bunker, away from the firing slits of the bunker. A series of loud whooshes slammed it into the bunker, and screams and cries of panic came from along the walls. Bok could feel the wave of superheated air, similar to the heat from the furnace, wash over his back, followed by someone screaming in the bunker next to him. He jerked his head around at the scream and saw one of his dumbass men, who did not take cover, had looked out the firing slits as the fireball had hit them. His man was screaming and clawing at his melted face and rolling on the dark concrete floor in pain. The others, frightened by the sudden supernatural violence, stared in shock at the scene. Bok hissed at the men who quickly ordered, Hold him down! Call for a medic! Stop him from making his wounds worse! His men came to their senses and quickly held down the struggling comrade, while Bok took his canteen of water and hopefully to cool the wounds of his man. He could hear the frightful barks out all around the defender's return fire to the knights. Finally, the wounded men stopped his struggles and passed out from shock and Bok yelled to the gawking troops, And your guns, stop gawking, go! A stressed-looking youngster came running in with a red cross bordered with a white on both sides of his helmet came running into the bunker. He stared at the wounded man on the floor invisibly paled for he bent over to administer first aid. Bok sighed and picked up his weapon to join his men at the firing slits. What greeted him was a scene of smoke and flames through the gaps of gun smoke. He could see the Imperials riding off and looping back to begin another magic attack. He raised his rifle and took aim, and fired. Instantly the rotten smelling smoke covered the view and he felt a heavy kick of the rifle. He worked the rifle bolt and waited for the smoke to clear, just as he was taught and tried to find out if he hit the target. But the battle was too chaotic and messy, and with the gun smoke blocking his view, it was hard to tell what was happening. He only knew that the Imperial cavalry was doing what the weaning sweep again, and he yelled, Take cover! End of chapter. Chapter 374 Orchestra of Death Foliage Town Hall The atmosphere in the hall was tense as the city leaders and military commanders stared at the map table covered with green and blue tokens. The foliage governor, once successful merchant hetero Arthur, stared hard at the map before he asked, The attack yesterday, was it a probe at our defenses? Yes, Second Lieutenant Collins, military attaché to foliage governor, replied. He was the only human in the room of owls. They definitely are testing our defenses. I thought our plans were to pin them down between two forces, Hetero asked. Why are we facing the Imperial Army alone? Collins cast a glance at the local SDF commander who chose to remain quiet. The SDF officer returned Collins' glance and gave a tiny shrug in his shoulders. Collins gave a sigh and said, 
The Imperial Army, where we are facing, has split into two forces. He tapped his finger on the map where the position, and he traced his finger down to the western side of the city. Here is where our marines are holding. We received word that they were engaging First Imperial Army somewhere here. The Collins made a finger upwards and tapped on the nearby red token. It appears the First Army did not fully tank our bait and split its forces in two. So our plan failed, Edra frowned. Should we start evacuating the people? No, it's not a true failure, Collins said. The original plan was for them to attack us anyway. We have to change to plan B. Collins gave a smile. What's plan B? Aetero scratched his head as he did not remember any word of a plan B during the strategic meeting with the higher-ups. Plan B is, uh, just change our current plans but keep the goal the same. The first Imperial Army, Order of the Shadows campsite. The knight, with a smile on his face, was seated on a fallen log where he tore off a piece of dried meat with his perfect white teeth. He sighed and tossed the remains of the beast slave kneading on the side. Thus, don't you have better food? We were ordered not to have any cook fires to avoid enemy discovering our camp, replied the knight wearing a full-faced helm. Our role is to disrupt the enemy and prevent them from setting out reinforcements to the enemy in the forest where our main force is going to destroy. Tch. The smiling knight clicked his tongue. Those rebel scums are wasting our time. We can easily go over that pathetic walls and kill all of those treacherous scum and dine and fine wine and proper meat and woman. There is no rush, the covered-faced knight called out to Thos. We just need to keep up the defenders busy to intercept any of them leaving the city. That isn't fun, the smiling knight pounded. Still, their thundersticks are interesting. We should grab some of them and play with them. Thos's knight nodded, the featureless helm bobbing as he agreed to what the other had said. Yes, we should capture some and study. Then it settled. The smiling knight hopped up to his feet an expression of white excited child. He rubbed his hands happily in anticipation and said, So, let's do it now. An aide of the Order of the Shadow shook his head in helplessly as the childish commander. Captain, it is wiser if we should wait till it is dark to make our move. No, no, no. The smiling knight tilted his head back and said, We must strike while the iron is hot. Besides, there were just some peasants playing as soldiers. It'll be easy at stealing a toy from a child. He clapped his hands happily together and cut off his aide's protest. Order the men to assemble. We shall attack immediately. The aide swallowed his words back and thumped his chest in salute. Your command. The smiling knight kicked the beast slave and gnawing on the remains of the dried meat. Come, prepare my armor and weapons. The northern front, 1st Battalion, A Company, fallback line. Slow marched the Imperial infantry marching towards him and scattered formation. Shrieks of mortar fire screamed overhead and landed amongst the Imperials with heavy chest-thumping plumps. Bodies fell like puppets with their strings snipped off, and yet the Imperials did not waver. As far as Snow could see, the land was covered in blue and silver, and even the skies were dotted with dragons belonging to the Imperials, while the low buzz of their own aircraft circling around the lines prepared them for the upcoming aerial dogfight. Like a tide, the Imperial troops marched forward, enduring the punishment of mortar fire with protection spells and guts. A whistle blew and slow fired his MG, watching the traces slam into a group of blue boys. He worked his barrel left and right, sweeping the machine gun afire across the featureless grassland. Bullets shattered and deformed against the magic barriers and flickered brightly against the barrage. Sometimes a barrier went down and the troops taking cover in it dropped like flies as bullets skized through them. Incoming! Take cover! 
Someone yelled as the slow glanced up and cursed her and he saw dozens of meteors trailing smoke and flames, dropping down from the skies right at his position. Slow quickly picked up his machine gun and ducked into the tight confines of the protective dugout of his fighting position. Dug when they were fallen back to this location. Slow hugged his machine gun tightly and pushed his body tight into the earthen wall, just as the meteor spells landed. Instantly, the whole earth shook wildly. Slow felt the earthen gods were trying to kick him out of the protective dugout and into the fury of the raging meteor shower. Slow squeezed his bulky, orcish body tighter, and for the first time in his life, he envied the softskins for their smaller build. He understood that with firearms, it was best to make themselves as small as possible to avoid getting shot. Finally, the shaking and roaring of the earth stopped. Someone yelled something unintelligible, and Slow slowly crawled his way out of the dugout and raised his head over the sandbag's stanger. He could feel waves of heat rolling over him, and the terrain around him was scorched and burned. The small craters pockmarked the marine's defensive works, and one by one, those that survived the meteor spell popped out from their shelters and continued firing at the Imperials who took the opportunity to advance closer to their lines. Slow! Someone yelled next to his ear. Get that MG up! Get it up! Slow turned and saw the platoon sergeant yelling from behind. His sergeant crouched low and pointing his finger forward and yelled, They are coming! Shoot them! His training took over and Slow set up his machine gun again. Peering past the shimmering hot air around him and he saw the Imperials were almost right on top of their barbed wires that had been destroyed by spellfire. He let the machine gun rock, spewing lead at a rate of 500 rounds per minute. Slow easily ran through the 200-round boxed magazine in under a minute at the target-rich environment. He reached behind his back ammo pouch and retrieved a fresh box of ammo and reloaded. Rowan, I need more ammo. He yelled to his assistant gunner as he continued to fire at the Imperials. Rowan! Slow turned to his side where his assistant gunner was supposed to be before he realized that a small fighting position they had dug out had actually been hit by a meteor. The side where his assistant gunner had taken cover had caved in and Slow could see the charred and hand sticking out from the collapsed earth. Curses! You kill Slow's buddy! Slow screamed as the anger of the Imperials and fired his machine gun like a madman. Slow send you blues to company buddy in hell. UN Fallage City Walls The sun was setting slowly over the horizon, casting long shadows and purple glow across the defenses. Once green and nervous SDF troops, after experiencing the first battle against the Imperial Knights, were more confident and steady as the lookout sounded the alert of the enemy attack. The city's mortar batteries fired their tubes, sending mortar shells downrange and amongst the charging knights that appeared from the forested areas beyond the walls. Black smoke erupted around the cavalry charge, and under the dying light of the sun, the magic barriers of the Imperials flashed brightly. Most of the Imperial knights appeared to be also predict the trajectory of the mortar shells as they came dropping out of the skies to avoid it. The number of broken bodies and mounts was small, and as the Imperials hit the effective range of the rifles, the order to open fire was screamed. All along the wall where the Imperial knights were attacking, puffs of dirty smoke erupted from magic shields that flashed and failed, yet the Imperial knights urged their mounts faster, wanting to close the gap to the walls as fast as possible. But the closer they came, the rifle fire grew more and more accurate and dozens of knights were knocked off their mounts. Some knights survived the shooting and they climbed to their feet and continued charging while those badly wounded tried to limp their way back to their lines. 
As the knights reached the spell range, they threw fireball spells, bolts of lightning and magic missiles at the defenders, making the enchanted defenders of the city light up like a slideshow. The smiling knight's smile grew wider and the walls of the city loomed up before him. His magic barrier flicked brightly as a thunder spell left the sparks in his barrier and he ignored it. He could smell the sour urine smoke coming from the city walls as the defenders cast their demon spells at him and his order. Go! Kill them! The smiling knight laughed. I want those thunder spells! But the roar, the order of the shadows spurred their mounts harder. Some started chanting a spell which made the ground light beneath the city walls glow as magic circles started manifesting. The other knights quickly threw up more protection spells as the defenders focused their spells right at them, who were the closest to the wall. The knights suddenly leapt off their mounts as they crossed the deadly hail of thunder spells and landed right on top of the magic circles. The magic circles growed brightly and the knights on the circles were suddenly tossed into the air. The spells launched a dozen knights into the air and they flew right onto the tops of the walls. They threw another spell to soften their landing, and the surprised defenders on the other side of the wall aired in horror at the Imperials. The knights laughed at the fearful looks in the eyes of the enemies that tore right into the defenders, and kidding began. Some of the stronger world defenders pointed their demonic sticks at the cast their thunder spells at the knights. But the panic amongst the defenders gave the Imperial knights the chance to rush in amongst the defenders, and like the wind wolves and a flock of muffalos, they wreaked carnage. Those that rallied were not willing to cast their thunder spells amongst their own. The smiling knights stood on the top on the flat surface of structures and the defenders of the city hid in the cowardly casting of their thunder spell from. He could hear the screams coming from the structure below him as his men broke into the building and slaughtered those inside, making him giggle happily. He hummed a tune as he waved his hands around in the air like a music conductor directing an orchestra, an orchestra of death. End of chapter. Chapter 375. The Joker. UN, City of Fall Edge, Forward Wall. SDF Corporal Bock grit his teeth hard as he raised up his rifle vertically to parry the downswing of an Imperial Knight's sword stroke. The impact force between the sword and the rifle's metal wood forestock surprised Bock as the weight behind the sword was a lot heavier than he expected from the knight. He strained his muscles, strained from wielding a blacksmith hammer against the knight and pushed the knight to the side and stepped back. The concrete bunker floor was thick with blood and his men with the Imperial Knights suddenly leapt over the walls and barged into the bunkers, killing everyone that they met. Bok took a quick glance around him and saw his remaining two men fending off another Imperial Knight, meaning that no one was free to give him a helping hand against his opponent. The knight suddenly twitched his sword at stance and held his long sword single-handedly. The knight threw a punch at Bok's face. With his gauntleted fist, Bok managed to jerk his head to the side, taking a glancing blow of his helmet. The punch made both men step away as they glared at each other, trying to find an opening. Bok held his rifle across his chest like a staff. The rifle's length was too long to fire at his opponent was in close melee range with him while his sword bayonet hung uselessly at his side. His opponent did not give him any chance to draw his bayonet out as his opponent constantly stabbed and slashed at Bok. Bok was a disadvantage and his opponent was heavily armored from head to toe. Well, he was just dressed in a cloth uniform and a leather load-bearing webbing. The only armored part of him was his head. The Imperial Knight suddenly stepped backwards, catching Bok off guard. It was the opening that the Knight needed with the lightning speed. 
The light lunged forward with his sword and stabbed the meaty left bicep of Bok when he tried to twist away and out the attack. Bok could feel the coldness of the steel inside his body before burning pain threatened to make him drop his rifle. At this distance, Bok could see the T-shaped opening in the Imperial's helm and the eyes that started back at him were full of mockery and disdain. Bok roared loudly as he ignored the pain and the butt stock of the rifle using all of his might into the face of the gloating Imperial Knight. He could see the Imperial's eyes widen in surprise as his pupils tracked Bok's movement, following the upswing of the rifle and the Imperial tried to step back. That, that distance was too close and the solid wooden stock slammed into the side of the metal helm with a loud clang. The metal helm dented inwards and the rifle snapped into two with the force of the impact. The blood splurted out within the knight's helm and the Imperial stumbled backwards. Bok's hands were numbed from the shock of the impact and blood loss of his wound. He discarded his useless rifle and pulled his sword bayonet out, ready to go on with the fight. Imperial cursed and pulled off his dented helmet. His head flung the helmet at Bok. The Imperial screamed and charged forward, swinging his sword in an arc down that would take Bok's head off. Bok accidentally parried off the thrown helmet with his wounded arm, making him cry out in pain. He ducked under the swing of the sword arm and a bull rushed the Imperial, using his larger frame to his advantage. The armor Imperial was slammed onto the hard concrete floor with a loud crash while Bok mounted him. Both men started to tumble and wrestle on the blood-slick floor. Bok was at least one size larger than his opponent, but his opponent had magic to boost his abilities. He angled his bayonet over the Imperial's exposed throat and leaned his full body weight down with all of his strained and all of his enhanced strength to stop the bayonet from going in. Both glared and struggled without a word, panting and grunting as they exerted all their strength. Bok suddenly gave a yell and used his whole body like a hammer to slam down on the bayonet which the tip pierced the skin of the Imperial. No! The Imperial's eyes turned to fear. Stop! Fuck you! Bok hissed and jerked, slammed his body down again, forcing the bayonet deeper into the throat of the Imperial Knight. <coughs> the Imperial Knight coughed and gargled as blood filled his throat. Yet he did not give up his struggle to live. <coughs> the final slam, Bok shoved the entire bayonet through the soft tissue and bone of the Imperial till the tip hit the concrete floor. He stared back at the grey-blue eyes of the Imperial soldier as life slowly drained out of them till the light in the Imperial's eyes went out. Bok sucked in a deep breath as he relaxed his whole body. He suddenly choked up when he heard the cry of pain and a loud thud and saw one of his men had fallen against the fight with the other remaining Imperial soldier. He quickly dragged himself over to one of the rifles belonging to the dead and worked the bolt with one hand. He laid the rifle over the cooling body of the dead Imperial and fired one-handedly at the other Imperial knight. The sudden crack of the rifle with the deafening in the enclosed bunker and the Imperial Knight facing off the last man of Bok's squad slumped down against the wall of the remained unmoving. Holy heavens! The last soldier of Bok's squad cried out in relief. I thought I would be seeing the gates. Thanks for the save, Corp. Help me tie up this wound! Bok hissed as he leaned his back against the wall. Oh crap! The private cursed as he quickly dug out a roll of bandage and started dressing Bok's wound. You need a healer. This wound looks very bad. No time. Bok grimaced as he sensed light-headed feeding as he stood up with the help of his private. We need to stop them. The SDF looked around the bunker covered in blood and bodies and swallowed nervously. 
How are two of us going to fight against them? Just look at what the Imperial Knights did to our squad. We'll just be going to our deaths. Then you stay here. Box sighed as he felt the strength failing. I didn't save Forledge to lose it to the Imperials again. He pushed past the others and stumbled to the bunker's exit, which the reinforced steel doors were blown open by the Imperial Knight spell earlier. A short flight of stairs led upwards in the wall and Bok made a climb as fast as he could, and as he exited the top, he saw the rear courtyard behind the walls in disarray. Pockets of SDF infantry with their khaki brown uniforms held their ground against the blue-silver Imperial Knights. Broken bodies both sides laid amidst the wreckage of the courtyard, while gun smoke lingered and flashes of spells and gunfire flickered here and there. The Imperial Knights were playing with the frightened SDF infantry as they darted in and out of the smoke cover. Sometimes an SDF trooper would scream as a sword or spell claimed his life and the infantry square was constructed every tightly together. Bok muttered a curse under his breath as he could see what the besieged troops couldn't see. The gun smoke lingering on the ground hid most of the Imperial Knights from the SDF who were surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of enemies. What's happening? The private had followed Bok out, carrying his rifle with a determined look on his face. Why are they falling back? They can't see the enemy, Bok pointed out. Then that's barely even a dozen Imperials down there, but the troops are too green and frightened. We need to tell them, the private said. We need to get more men on those Imperials. We can kill them. It's too disorganized down there, Bok replied, and I don't see any officers or radio men around. Bok turned and looked around and saw the other bunkers further down the wall were still active as gunfire could be seen coming out from the gun slits. He looked at his wound, seeing the bandages had already turned dark crimson, and he knew that he was in no condition to run down to the courtyard to rally the troops. Corp! The private suddenly yelled and pointed down. What are they doing? Pillaging the dead? Bok turned and frowned as he saw several Imperials appear to be sifting through the bodies. The Imperials could be seen stripping the kit off the dead SDF soldiers and picking up their rifles. No, they're taking, they're taking our guns. Stop them, Bok hissed as he leaned over the parapet, resting his rifle against the good arm and shot. The private next to him followed suit and they fired aimed shots down at the group of Imperials. Surprised by the sudden attack, the Imperials immediately stopped their action and ran, some of them even dropping the items in their arms. Despite having to drop on the Imperials, between Rock and Private, they only managed to hit one of the Imperials while the rest skittered away and lingered in the smoke covered their escape. At this time, the main gates of the city swung open and a large troop of SDS soldiers rushed out and the tide was turned. The Imperials, seeming the reinforcements pouring out the city, could only retreat like before. They used spells to leap over the fortifications and grabbed any riderless mounts then pacing around the battlefield and retreated back towards the forest. Bok watched the Imperials retreat as a heavy heart as he was about to go look for a healer when a voice suddenly spoke out. The voice was neither too soft or loud, yet everyone on the walls could hear the person's words. Everyone turned and saw a figure standing on top of one of the bunkers. <laughs> Did you all, your low-life scums, enjoy today's activities? This figure was wearing an ornate-looking armor without a helmet, exposing his pale smile, handsome face. On his belt hung two daggers instead of a sword. He stood there without a care at the number of rifles aiming at him as he looked at the skies. The smell of blood and death is so exciting, don't you all think? Do you want to know why I use a dagger? His shorts are too quick and you can't savor all the little emotions. 
The smiling Imperial said, You see, in the last moments people show you who they really are. So, in a way, I know your friends better than you ever did. The Imperial laughed and cast a mocking glance at the troops below. Would you like to know which of them were cowards? His words made the SDF soldiers confused as they looked at each other. An SDF officer pushed his way past the troops and aimed his revolver at the Imperial. Surrender or die. Very poor choice of words. The Imperial Knight gave a dramatic sigh and there was a flash of silvery dagger magically appeared in the throat of the SDF officer who clenched his throat as he gagged on his own blood. For a moment, everyone just stared in silence at the sudden death of the officer until someone recovered the senses and yelled, Shoot him! Hundreds of rifles thundered as the SDF troops jolted to action, firing at the laughing Imperial, who jumped backwards off the bunker. Is it me, or is it getting crazier out here? <laughs> Remember me, I am the Joker. End of chapter. Chapter 376 Rock and Rumors Yuan, Orwell's Point, Forward Fortifications. The dragon's cry attracted the attention of the soldiers under the fortifications. The size of the flying dragon grew larger and larger as it dropped its altitude and landed with surprising gentleness on the paved square behind the lines. The crew unbuckled themselves while the blue-red dragon laid its whole bulk down flat as the crew climbed down the dragon's harness expertly. Priority message for ground commander. A fresh-braced lieutenant wearing a jacket over his Air Force overalls jogged over to the guards at the entrance of the command post, while the rest of the dragon crew saw to the dragon's needs. The lieutenant disappeared into the tent after his identity was verified. Blue Thunder released a tired sigh as he stretched out one wing and gestured to the claw at the crew. Scratch here, please. Oh, yes. I miss Boss Stamford, Blue Thunder grumbled. The new boss is, um, too easily excited. You meant eager for action, retorted Deck, the radio man, as he used a blunt spear that kept together the stalls for Blue Thunder to scratch his scales. The spear was supposed to be used to kill and remove parasites that leech off the dragon's scales. Uh-huh, Blue Thunder rumbled in his throat, eyes half rolling upwards. Ugh, that's the spot. While the chief got posted at the Air Force Academy, Barkley said as he appeared out of the barrel of water Blue Thunder. Actually, I'm finding it strange. I heard from a friend of the Marines, and there seems to be there will be a lot of transfers and restructuring amongst the ranks, but most of the transfer orders involve humans. You mean to say that after the fork up in the city, Luth and the other crew members added as he dumped in the piles of protein blocks into the feed bay for Blue Thunder. High Command doesn't want to lose any more of their precious humans. That's why they're all being transferred back to a safe and cozy post. Really? Ruth, under hearing the gossip, turned his head and blinked at the great big eyes rapidly in attention. Are they playing favoritism? Shhh! Both Tack and Bartley hissed and looked around at the surroundings to make sure no one heard the talk. Keep it down, you big dummy. This is just hearsay. We don't know for sure. Bartley glared at Luth and spoke in a low voice. Don't anyone spread this rumors. It'll affect the morale. Luth gave a shrug as he continued opening boxes of protein blocks and retorted. Well, isn't it true? Chief Stamford got posted away, somewhere safe, while we were here risking our lives on the front lines. I'm sure the humans are protecting themselves while letting us go die. Everyone stared at Luth in displeasure. You really should keep your opinions to yourself. Don't forget what they did for us. Yeah, Luth rolled his eyes, freeing us from slavery only to fight and die for them later. Should I be grateful for that? 
Even Blue Thunder felt unhappy at the words the crew member Luth was saying as he spoke in a serious tone. If you think that way, then you should quit and leave the force. Yeah, Dak nodded, agreeing with Blue Thunder's words. Just quit. No one's forcing you to stay and fight, you coward. I'm not a coward, Luth protested at his work. You think that it's fair for us to die for humans while they sit in the Silver Thrones? I don't think if it's fair or not, Blue Thunder cut in. We were given a choice to join the Air Force, and you agreed to the terms and danger that was offered. Yet now you're grumbling like a child. Whatever, Lath replied and returned to filling the feed bay. You just eat your damn protein blocks and watch your stupid dramas. You are an asset to the humans, but us, we just numbers and pieces of paper, or the technology computer of those. The humans won't care about it if we live or die, Luth continued. See how many marines had died already. Did they pull Alkine out of combat? Yet, when only one of their own died, what happened? Luth spoke eagerly, tears threatening to fall. You see humans get pulled out of combat roles, and we continue to remain in fight. Hey, chill, Barkley said. You okay? No! Luth lowered his head and clenched his fist tightly. My brother died in that damn place, but what did our mother get? Just a piece of useless metal and a ribbon. Beck and the rest nodded silently, and they patted Luth's back in comfort. Even Blue Thunder swept his wing over and rubbed Luth's at his tip. Hey, we all lost something in this war. Some of us homes, others like you, family. But if you want to blame somebody, blame the Imperials. I can't say what the human's decision was for, Beck tried to comfort Loth, but all I know is that the humans gave us a fighting chance to fight out with our new homes and family. Yes, Ruth under thumped his tail in agreement. Beck family, Barkley family, Loth family, Chief Stamford family, new boss family too, so don't be sad. We all grieve together for you, bro. Loth nodded as he silently wept in the huddle. Thank you. Hey. A voice called from the side. What are you all doing? Have you all fed and watered the dragon? The new lieutenant called out sharply. Get working. Okay, new boss not family. Cock, wake up. Somebody shook the rock hard, breaking his dreams. We got to stand now. Hurry, the Imperials were spotted. The rock blinked away the sleep and pushed himself up from the duckboard-covered trench. His khaki uniform was caked with dried mud as he picked up his gear and followed his buddy towards the bunker. Cork, you okay? His buddy asked as a concern in his eyes as Rock up and down. You seemed a bit off today. I'm fine, the Rock replied. He used a fake name when they were rescued by a group of slave warriors after he's defeated with the rebels. To avoid capture, he was stripped away of his armor and clothes and acted as if he was also a slave. After his rescue, he had spent over a month to recover from his wounds in a neat and orderly campsite just outside of the city of Orwell's Point. After he was able to walk, people came and asked about his past and work experience. He told the truth that he was a soldier before, but he did not reveal his true identity. Afterwards, the people told him that he was freed and no longer a slave. He could find work in the city if he wants. He could return home. He was given enough coins to survive for over a week together with new clothes and shoes. The Rock was first wary, thinking that it might be a trap to expose him when he was off guard. But it turned out that that was what happened to everyone in the camp. Others left on their own to return to their homes. For him, he decided to stay and find out more about his enemy that had weapons and spells so deadly on the battlefield, yet were naive enough to release so many slaves and prisoners. Thus he spent the next few months observing and learning of the enemy that defeated him in his great legion. He was surprised by the small changes and laws made by the local population which appeared to greatly improve the life of the people. Even more surprising were the strange metal wagons that moved on their own. 
He found out that his enemies were a kingdom called the United Nations, where all races lived together in harmony, including Orkins, Trolls, and even the hated Goblins. The UN was ruled by a strange race of Shortiers, which the Emperor had called them as demons. They had some kind of great technology power that enabled the metal wagons to move with some kind of magic or flying crunch trucks that flew faster than any dragon. They can control the power of thunder and fire as evidenced by the defeat that he had suffered under their hands. The rock sought out to find out more about the power of thunder and fire of the humans, but no one knew how the spell worked. Strangely, the local governor started spreading the word that there were free lessons for anyone willing to attend at night. Children would start compulsory lessons and were ordered to at new schools and were popping up here in the city. He took a job as a laborer, doing odd jobs, and even worked on a couple of schools for the city. At night, he joined hundreds of others in attending the lessons where they were taught how to read, write, count, and basic scholarly knowledge. At first, he was just curious as to what the King of the United Nations was up to, but after a few lessons, he found out that he quite enjoyed learning new things. After he passed his examinations given at the end of the lessons, he was given a certification which he was told that if he wanted to learn more advanced knowledge, he would need the certification to qualify. As he was debating whether he should continue his studies, there was an announcement of the Ladu, which he enjoyed listening to the music that came out of it, talking about military recruitment for the local militia. He decided to take a look and find out more, and to his surprise, the recruiter frankly told him that if he joined the self-defense force, he would get to learn how to use those number of weapons he sought for. He quickly signed up a week later, and he and many others were whizzed off aboard a moving wagons, which he called a truck. At the end of the destination, he and the others came to a camp, and there he trained for three months to be a soldier of the SDF. Cock! His buddy shook him again. Stop spacing out. The Imperials are coming. The rock shook off his thoughts as he peered through the firing slits and covered fighting positions dug low into the ground. Where? Up in the skies, his buddy replied as he shared his binoculars to rock. The rock peeked out of the binos, another invention that the UN had impressed him a lot. He swept the binos left and right before a cluster of dots in the purplish skies as the sun was slowly setting down. Dragons. Lots of dragons. Yeah, his buddy replied. Our dragon patrol spotted them earlier. Seems like they're planning to transport the bulk of the troops over the lines by flying dragons. Luckily, we got those anti-dragon guns. His buddy jerked his thumb back to the rear of the lines. They won't know what they ran into. <laughs> the rock gave a grin and continued to observe the approaching dragons. He could see the colors and trappings on the dragons and frowned as he tried to remember which colors did those flags belong to. Crap, it's the third army. Huh. His buddy, who was checking the rifle, turned to glance at the skies. You know which Imperial force they belong to? Um. The rock quickly came up with an excuse. I used to be a slave of the Imperial army, so I recognized some of those flags. I see. His buddy returned his attention back to his rifle, unsuspecting of his friend's past. I hate the Imperials. I lost a lot of friends to them. Me too. Me too, the rock whispered, his eyes glittering at the setting sun. End of chapter. And that, my friends, is the end of this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the channel. There are numerous links down below. The easiest way would be to share this video and this channel to as many people as possible to help this channel grow. Your support is very much appreciated. And I will see you all in the next video. Cheers.